Welcome swimmers and swimmers. I'm today's host, Garrett McCaffrey. And joining us today is the three-time Florida LSC Coach of the Year, the six-time Florida High School Coach of the Year. He's been a member of Team USA's international staffs four times. He's the head coach of the Sarasota Sharks, and he just recently added one of the top swimmers in the world to his team and group. He's Brent Arkey, and this is the Swim Swim Podcast. so much for making time. I really appreciate you uh, you being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So I want to talk about all sorts of stuff. I can't wait to, to learn from you as a fellow club coach. I know I got a lot that I could really pick your brain about, but let's start with the news, the timely stuff. Uh, Summer McIntosh coming down to Sarasota to train with you. H- how did that come to be? Well, I mean, I think um, one, Sarasota is just a, a really nice place to live. We've got a lot of people from Canada that, that come down here vacation or they, they uh, winter here. Um, and uh, during, during COVID, uh, Canada had some challenges and people were looking for some other places to, to train. Um, certainly not just Canada, but we've had, we had some people from, from all over the place coming down here and training. Um, summer came last winter for about, I want to say it was like six to eight weeks. And uh, we we just had a good time. She loves working hard and uh, kind of fit in with our group. Uh, we got a great group of teenagers down here, and we just kind of hit it off. And uh, you know, she, you know, long story short, she was planning on kind of going back and forth, and then decided that that this was where she wanted to stay. So, and of course, we're we're happy to have her down here. Who, who wouldn't be right? Totally. I mean getting uh, arguably um, maybe next to Popovich, the, the breakout star of this summer um, with some of her amazing wins in both the 400 IM and the 200 fly. Um, it, she's a superstar and adding a superstar to your team can definitely change things. What did you learn when you were at Florida in the you know 2008 to 2012 era with Lochte and Beisel and those superstars that you can kind of take into um, this experience coaching one of the best in the world. Yeah. So, I mean, I've sort I've certainly have been fortunate uh, and I was actually there 2004 to 2010. So it wasn't quite all the way into, into 12, but certainly learned a lot from, from eight to 10, uh, working with those high performance athletes, um, you know, just kind of managing, you want a culture of hard work. And certainly at Florida, uh, coach Troy cultivates that coach Nessie, coach Wilby when, when I was there, um, and, and, but you also have to manage it when you've got athletes like that. Uh, I used to always joke that aerobic practice is kind of turned into, you know, all out wars sometimes because there's a reason those athletes are who they are. Uh, they, they like to work hard and they don't, they don't shy away from it. So I just think learning to, to manage and, and have good relationships, I think is where it really starts with your athletes um, and being able to openly communicate about, what you need, where you are in the season. Um, but then also, you know, in my particular case at a, at a club level, um, making sure you're taking care of everybody in, in, in the group of, in my case, it's a group of 30. So um, I, I think it all starts with really good relationships. That's probably what I learned the most at, at Florida. Um, 
and open communication. And then also uh, I would be uh, remiss if, if I didn't point out that we managed this through Emma Wyan as well over the last five years. Um, and again, I, I really feel like we have a culture here that we're going to, we're going to try to do whatever we can for anybody, regardless of who you are, whether you're the, the Olympic champion or you're trying to make your first state cut, we're going to try to find the best place for you to reach your goals. And, and I, everybody supports that. So I think it starts with culture and culture and relationships would be what I would, what I would say is sum it up that way. For sure. I think it always comes down to that connection that you have with your swimmers and making sure that they know you care about their swimming. And, you know, when you have somebody at that level, improvement is like even more of that 1% a day, right? It's so hard to get faster when you're already at that type of speed. And like you said, you've worked with it. You have a bunch of swimmers already um, who are on international teams and they range from 50 free all the way up to these distance events. How does that group of 30 on, in your, it's your national group, right? It's called the Correct. national group. How yep. does it break down on a weekly basis as far as specific training groups? Um, it, are there different groups at any points of the week? Yeah, so um, well, we can get as, as deep into this as you want. Uh, you know, really, the our, our program, the, the top group has, I try to, well, first of all, I've got a whole bunch of really good staff that are around me. That's that's part of the success here. And almost all of them uh, that are full-time coaches get some sort of exposure to the top group. They may coach they may coach an, an eight and under group, but they also coach help me coach some of the national level kids. So um, I think that does two things. One, it keeps me honest. Two, it helps them appreciate what they're part of the process is all the way, all the way through. I want people that are, you know, appreciate the fact that somebody's worked with them for 10 years or 11 years. Um, the, and also that gives me the ability to have multiple assistants. So the short answer is we have lots of different groups and sometimes I'm writing anywhere from four to seven different practices. Um, but I, I, I think at the, at a really high level, we kind of use, um, you asked me in the email, you know, possibly about weekly cycles. We kind of have four weekly cycles that we generally use. I've got one that's kind of on the experimental side right now, but uh, you know, the, the, the names we use are the setup phase, the um, base phase, the competition prep phase. And internally we use the, internally in the coaching staff, we use the phrase rest for the, the last one, rest phase for the last one. Um, the, a setup phase is um, really one one a day. Uh, we all pretty much train together, heavy drills and um, stroke mechanics, stroke count, a ton of kicking, um, and a little bit of pulling. But then also um, what we call you know base speed work. So we'll have a little progression through that through that phase that we'll start with 25s on a big giant interval as fast as you can go without doing things with, with still doing things correctly and then getting up to 75s or hundreds as, as we progress through um, the, and pretty much everybody's all together there and a huge emphasis on dry land early. And, and I know we'll probably get into some of that later, but uh, early in that season, during that setup phase, dry land, we're doing something six days a week. Um, so the, the second one being the base phase is um, 
really most of the guys that that I work with are you know a lot of uh, we joke here that everybody's an I immer until until told differently um you know tr- how does that ultimately look um most of our freshmen and sophomores I, I feel have room for improvement on a, from an IM standpoint. So we, we spend a lot of time developing that IM. Uh, during that base phase, I'll have a large group that's IM focused and developing the, the um, different facets of the IM. And if, if I feel like down the road, you're, you're becoming more of a freestyle, especially more on the distance in freestyle, Instead of being predominantly IM based, you might make sense some more freestyle as you get as you get older. Um, you know that again quickly is kind of heavy on the aerobic side and mechanics and stroke stroke counts, efficiency, that kind of thing. And then um, two to three times a week, you're I guess if you were somebody who's really into the I'm certainly not a physiologist, but I, I pretend to be one, I guess. Um, the you know I guess that red red to blue type pace two to three times a week during that phase, um, the competition prep phase is where it really starts getting a little more specific. And like I said, sometimes I've got a group of IMers. It, really, the the three main groups, and then inside that there can be some subgroup, subgroups. But the three main groups I work with are uh, uh, a distance group. Uh, the biggest group is usually like my middle distance. I am in stroke. And sometimes I've got some 200 freestylers in there. Um, and then kind of a 200 down, uh, usually a lot of breaststrokers in there or some guys that are, you know, stretching to swim the 200. So we, we spend a lot of time focusing on the 200. I feel like everybody needs some of that 200 work. I think it's good for everybody. Um, and then if, you know, they get to college and they want to be more 50 and hundred, that's, that's cool. They've got enough background to, to do whatever they want. So, um, and then the rest phase, I mean, I think my assistants get all kinds of crazy with me during the rest phase. Cause I'll just go out there and you know, I've got some parameters that I want to see or things that I want to see, but we, I'm certainly talking a lot to the athletes and adjusting on the fly. It's probably pretty frustrating for, for some of the assistants sometimes, but I feel like, um, it's an important time of year for people to feel like they're, they're getting what, what they need. So, um, that's kind of our, that's a, that's my national group in a, in a nutshell. And then it kind of builds throughout the entire year and through a quad. So it's awesome. I really appreciate you being so open with that. Um, you know, a lot of coaches sometimes like to keep the cards close to the vest, but at the end of the day, there's nobody that's going to be able to execute your system like you. So it's not like there's a secret that they can just copy and paste. Can you uh, let us know which one you consider the experimental phase or if it's another one that you're, you haven't talked about yet, which one is experimental? Yeah. So the, I don't know, I guess we're calling it like a regeneration phase. One of the things that I've kind of been working on for over the years is, you know, I, I certainly have come from a work background. That was my, that was kind of my upbringing anyway. And then of course, working at Florida, the, the cornerstone is, is working hard. Um, I went and I saw Jan Ulbrecht. I wish I could tell you what year. I want to say, I want to say it was 15, 2015. And um, one of the things I brought back from there, at least in my opinion and interpretation, was it's okay to work really hard, um, but I think you've got to find ways to build in the adaptation or the, the regeneration of whatever work you're doing. And I don't, I don't care if it's heavy aerobic work or heavy anaerobic work or whatever you want to call it, you have to rest from some of it or, or you're just going to end up banging your head against the wall. So 
how we use that, I think, is the experimental part of it. I think everybody knows that you need to have some of that in in your plan. I, I hope everybody knows that at this point. Because um, I think the days of just going, going, going and, and just hope that it that it works, it, that's, that's not a... That, that's not a good plan anymore. So um, trying to figure out how to use that. And then I think the hardest part of the club level is, and some of these 14 year olds, they only need a few days. Right. And, and then by the time they're 18, they've done, they've accumulated all this work um, and, and they can afford to rest a little longer, or maybe they need to rest a little more because now they're big, strong boys or, or young men. Um, so I think that's the fun part, but trying to figure out the mix of all of those, um, all of those uh, phases is is kind of what we're working on. So the re- regenerative side, um, what does that week look like? Should it be before a meet? Should it be after a meet? Can you time it leading into a competition? Should it be after the competition? Um, should we go eight weeks of a base cycle or should we go eight weeks of a competition prep cycle? Hey, maybe some guys only need four weeks of that. I mean, that that's the fun part for me. Um, and I, I just feel like the parameters that I've set for myself allow me to be a little more, um, a little more creative because if I didn't have the parameters, I'd probably just be like all over the place. So the planning is really important. Um, and then experimenting with how all those pieces fit for each individual. Love to dive into this regenerative idea because I mean, all of the science says that you need one of those true aerobic days, you know, after a couple of the intensity days. Do you mix those in within a weekly cycle with all the phases? Yes. The, the short answer is absolutely yes. What um, does it look like? Because sometimes I have trouble just coming in and doing aerobic work and telling them not to race each other and telling and not having like a build to fast or something that they get after it. I feel like I'm I, I get antsy as a coach when they're not working something. Uh, what, how do you, how do you manage the true I, work? I mean, I think, I think we all, we all run into those feelings. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, I just put a, got an aura ring and um, I'm messing with that personally. Uh, I was messing with the whoop band as well. Um, and I think what we're finding is that we probably swim pretty pretty hard on the aerobic days. At least I, I feel like we do. Um, the, I think focusing, opening up intervals, um, focusing on other things other than the time, um, maybe putting everything on rest intervals. I've had a little bit of success doing that. Um, and that took me a while to get okay with that. Hey, we're going to do like an hour worth of nothing on a real interval. Um, but I think, I think the other piece for me it has been trusting my athletes to uh, – let's see if I say it right. I mean, trusting my athletes to learn and learn about themselves. So um, taking heart rates and starting to do some sets that maybe we come back and see every now and then um, so that they start understanding that maybe the heart rate and the speed for them is an, an important thing to pay attention to. Um, and then – we've actually been recording some Monday morning sets um, based on heart rate and time that they give us uh, through like we put it into a a Microsoft form. And so I kind of look at times and heart rates that they're giving me. So of course there's inherent, you know, inherent issues with that, but I think that them being aware of it is important. Um, So on those aerobic days, 
I think focusing on something other than time, other than speed, split up, you know, split up the boys and girls and let them let them do their own thing. Or maybe the freshmen all have to be with the seniors or, you know, focus on something else and as opposed to just how fast you're going. Um, and I'm kind of a stroke count. And we talk a lot about stroke count. I think if you if you ask a bunch of my athletes, they'd always they'd probably tired of hearing me ask about their stroke count. So I think I don't know if that answers your question, but I think it's something other than just the speed. Yeah. I mean, I just have so many questions. I want to kind of understand the coach dynamic, but let's stick right there for the stroke count. Can you give an example of a good stroke count set and how you emphasize it? If it was the focus, how how would you set up a set so that the stroke counts the focus? Well, I think that um, we do. I, I don't think this is anything new. Um, you know, golf sets where you you take your time and take your stroke count, add it together. We're trying to descend that number. Uh, usually we'll do something like that early in the practice and their, their job is to have an idea of what that stroke count looks like. And then we'll come back to maybe a, a major focus of the day and I'll ask them, you know, Hey, what is, what was your stroke count in warmup? That's what we're trying to hold here. And of course there's, you know, if you're going to go a 2000 or 3000 yard set, there's probably going to be some degradation of, of stroke count. So that's my job is to stay on top of them, but it's also, it's also their job to, if we're 30 minutes into a set, hey, what's your stroke count? If they look up at me, you know, with a blank face, I know that they're not, they're not engaged in that part of what we're doing. Um, so again, some give and take between the the coach and the athlete. Um, and then as they as they get older and a little more consistent, I think the hardest part is when you've got 14 year old in your group, their stroke count's going to change three or four times, especially little 14 year old boys it's going to be drastically different by the time that our senior in high school. So we work in parameters, like up in the top of our practices, we have, um, I think I, I got them from USA swimming. They're, they're general stroke counts from, I think it's either top eight or top 16 from Olympic trials. And I put those in the top corner as a, as parameters to stay within. That doesn't mean that you have to be exactly this, this number, but I think that if you want to be, at that level, there's probably a range that you need to need to sit in. And um, so, so we kind of work off of, off of that. So you, you mentioned that on your top group, you've got, you know, a bunch of help with coaches. How many coaches are on that group at any one time? Depending on the time of year, it, it can be, uh, it's usually two to three. Um, if I needed to, I guess I could pull somebody else in, but uh, it's usually two to three, depending on, on, what we're doing. And it's, like I said, it's a group of 30, usually 25 to 30. So, you know, three, three coaches is more than enough. Um, probably better than, than a lot of places get the opportunity to do. So, um, and again, I, there might be, you know, this morning we had, we had a breaststroke group, a backstroke group, a fly group and a distance free group. So even inside of that, there were only two coaches. It was a smaller group this morning, you know, so each of us have two groups. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, Again, if you have a situation where you're expecting your athletes to be engaged in the process, um, you know, that helps. They're almost like their own coach, right? So it's, a, it's another coach on the, on the pool deck. These coaches probably come from some of your other groups. Um, so they're familiar with the athletes yet? Generally speaking, yes. Yeah. So almost, you know, all the full-time coaches at least coach – well, all the full-time coaches coach 
two groups, um, usually a senior group, uh, just the way school breaks out for us. Uh, high school starts at three, and then most of our age group programs start at uh, somewhere around five o'clock, uh, give or take. And so we have the we have coaches that coach senior groups and then go to age group pro uh, age group groups afterwards. Just for perspective on on the team and the development from bottom to top, what percent of your national group came from another group in the club? Doesn't mean they had to be there from the time they were eight, but they came from another group in the club. If you had to estimate, obviously, I don't need exact numbers. Um, it might be a little lower right now, but it's still the vast majority. Um, it, recently, we've had some move-ins just because Florida's had so much growth, but um, – I mean, I would say 21 out of the 30, 22 out of the 30 have come through, come through the program. Uh, I mean, don't quote me on that, but it's probably somewhere around there. Yeah, uh, I think that's amazing. I mean, I think that's pretty common at the top of a lot of groups because kids come and go from the sport. A lot of times, you know, younger groups, there's, you know, people who go in and out. So anyway, I've seen I've seen a lot of uh, people that jump around even in my own experience on my own teams and 21 coming from your team means that your age group progression is doing some things right, especially for the level of athletes that you have. Um, let's talk a little bit about that age group progression. And, you know, you came um, all the way up the ranks uh, when you were at Florida, you started as an eight and under coach. And um, I'm not sure exactly what your role is when you first came to Sarasota, but it wasn't the head coach and it wasn't the national team coach. So, um, it, when it comes to age group, you have experience, what kind of like goals, like, do you have to establish specific things at specific ages for your groups? Can you just give us a little bit of insight into some specific parameters for, for your age groups? Yeah. So you know, I don't want to be too long winded, but our, our program kind of went through a real flux in um, like 14, 15, 16. And so we, we had some, uh, because of coaching changes and um, some issues with the YMCA that we were associated with. And so we had, we had a lot of issues with retention, a lot of issues with, um, you know, just growth of the program. And so we kind of had to sit in a room and decide what direction we really wanted to go. Um, and I feel like, Andrew, uh, Andrew Eckhart and John Bruning have been really good about growing the program and then, okay, how are we going to take these 10 and unders one, most importantly, keep them in the sport. And then two, what, what is, what does that look like as we go through 11 and 12 and 13, 14? Now I would be, would be glossing over a really important fact that the previous head age group coach um, Sherwood Watts was here for 30 years and that was that's a really important piece of the puzzle. I would just encourage anybody that um, consistency is far more important than just about anything else when it comes to age group coaches. Every time you have a, a coaching turnover, even in the ten and under group, like there, there's, it's just a little little, I don't know, just a little chink in the armor, I guess, you know. And so, and, and you can see it especially when you start being in the, in the head coaching role, you, you, when you start paying attention to things, you can kind of see it moving through the program. So I think that number one, the consistency of the coaching is really important. Um, I think that regular coaches meetings and coaches understanding what we want long-term um, I would say that 
I think it's easy to have an age group focus and wanting to win the age group championship meet all the time, which is, which I guess is, is important. And, you know, being successful is, is I, uh, I think being successful at the age group level is more important than winning uh, an arbitrary age group championship meet. Um, sometimes that happens because you've got a group of people that are being successful or that have been successful. But I think at the age group level, our goal is to try to find situations where our age groupers are going to be successful as they move through the ranks. Um, and I don't want to take a whole lot of credit for that. Ron Aiken was somebody who I talked to and he, he, he told, he was talking to me about you know, just um, how he believed that the, the getting the snowball rolling down the hill is the most important part in the age group program. Um, so it's something I really took to heart uh, talking to him. Um, and then as far as like sets, we certainly have some things that, that I want to see um, most of them revolve around kicking um, and being able to exert yourself. I mean, I came from the era of, Hey, in order to get to the next group, you got to go 10, 100s on double O or whatever. And Hey, listen, there's probably some merit in some of that stuff, but I want to see 10, 100s on a bigger interval and see what you're willing to hold and do well. Right. Like that, that probably means a little more to me than just being able to knock out, you know, 10, 100 on, on a minute or whatever. Um, so we, we have some, we pair something like that down all the way to the eight year olds. Usually the eight year olds are like 25s kick all out, that kind of thing. Um, turn that into a game, let them, you know, let it be fun. Um, you know, and then as you move through the ranks, you got 11 and 12 year olds. I'll tell you the other thing is the progression of our program. One of the things that we've tweaked um, instead of just being, traditional like 11 and 12 13 10 under 11 12 13 14 15 16 um we found that a lot of people are putting their kids in um in school a little earlier so we've got a lot more 14 year olds that are in that are freshmen in high school and what we were finding is that they were only spending a little bit of time in our pre-senior group and felt like that was becoming a big jump to go from um maybe like eighth grade right into ninth grade. Ninth grade's hard enough for all those guys, right? Ninth, ninth grade's always an adjustment for everybody. Um, so we went to paying attention a little bit more to not just age, but also what grade you're in. So you can spend a little more time at each progression level as you move, as you move through the program. So that, hopefully that answers it. Yeah, I think it's good perspective and kind of gives even some exact parameters with some of those types of sets. Um, this is where I kind of want to get into dry land because my question about dry land is when does it start in your progression and how does it evolve all the way through to your group? You kind of touched a little bit on six days a week during the setup phase. I kind of want to circle back to that, but I know that you keep saying, you know, you could be long winded, please, Brett, be long winded. <laughs> I want to hear it. Um, you know, how does it start? What age group are you starting with? What are the goals down at that base level? And then what is the hope as they evolve through the program? Well, so first and foremost, um, I, I got to give a little love to Vern Gambetta and Chris Webb uh, with Gain Swimming. I've worked with Vern for almost 12 years now. Um, Vern has probably been my biggest mentor other than maybe the guys that I worked with in, in Gainesville. Um, and his, his mentorship has been something other than swimming, which I think has been really important. Um and Chris Webb has become a, you know, he's a heck of a coach in and of himself and he's become even better at, at the dry land side. Um, so those guys have really, really helped me, uh, especially over the last 10, 10, 11, 12 years. Uh, the answer is 
they start immediately. I mean, my son's swimming at the water junior shark group and he's doing some jumping jacks on the pool deck. And I mean, the, the main, the main focus when they're young is just getting them to move and move athletically. Um, I think everybody knows that we're kind of behind on that probably uh, as a, as compared to the rest of the world. Um, so like, you know, just doing, doing some crawling movements, um, organized play, uh, Coach Andrew, he's got the eight-year-olds and the ten-year-olds. Uh, eight, we have an eight-and-under group and a ten-and-under group. So we have like a we have an entry-level group if you've never swum before, and then an eight-and-under group and a ten-and-under group. Um, the eight-and-unders and the ten-and-unders they have uh, they have free reign to hang out on the the pull-up rigs, and they've got like little monkey bars and stuff like that. And then he he'll make games out of you know climb, uh, shimming around the monkey bars or shimming around the pull-up bars. So just learning to hang, learning to move your body. Um, I, I think one of the mo- biggest things I'm, I'm proud of is you know, eight, nine, ten year olds running across the pool deck to get to dry land because they're playing. Uh, we've got these little soft balls, soft dodgeballs, basically. And dodgeball turns into, hey, maybe you're you're only allowed to use your left leg here. You have to use your left arm to throw the ball today. So just learning to move, and, and I consider that part of dry land. At the 10 and under level, it's much more games oriented. And we may teach them like a squat or something like that, just basic movements. Then at the 11 and 12 level, we do really start um, teaching some, some movements. None of them are loaded or resisted. It's learning how to brace, you know, planks, that kind of thing. Learning how to, to hinge, learn how to do squats, lunge, um, and, and really strengthening the legs is a, is a big focus there. Um, then the 13, 14s, they, they will start doing some light resisted work. Um, not, a, not a ton, but it's more laying the foundation and being able to do things right when you're adding resistance to it. And then at the, at the senior level, I mean, Vern, Vern's got us at you know, a, whole, a whole different level now. Uh, I also... We always joke that we're kind of the the gain beta site. So anything where you know Vern gets a, a new idea, he's a he's a big scholar, big reader. He's working on a book right now, so he's always got new ideas. And so that's been fun for me as we get to try some new things as well. But I think it's all because we have a really good foundation throughout the program that we can we can do some some different things uh, from a dryland standpoint. How much are they doing during race prep phase, like? Uh, is it still six days a week? Is it coming down? Is it getting more? How, how does it change through the different phases for your top group? Yeah, so the you know, originally we were three days a week. Um, probably about four years ago, we started going to four shorter dryland sessions every week. Um, most recently, we're at like four dryland sessions that are roughly about thirty minutes, um, and then some. Core, core. I mean, when I say core, we use the word athleticism. So there's a lot of core stuff involved in the athleticism, but there's also some athleticism and mobility stuff that either they're given to do on their own, or I have structured time in practice that that they need to to do specific mobility stuff. Like I've got breaststrokers that are doing certain things, or um, you know, maybe somebody's got tight upper back and we're going to do more thoracic work. Um, Hey, maybe we got some tight hips. We need to do something else. So we're working on ankle flexibility. 
um, it, it's so right now we're, we've got a couple of times a week where we're doing that after practice, but the main, the, the, the meat of what we're doing is about four times a week for about half an hour with some warm up to swim before every practice. So that's the other piece that I think is kind of the cornerstone to our dry land is nobody's getting in the water cold. Uh, and I think the, the more exposed I've been to international level swimming, they're really, really good about taking care of themselves outside the pool. And I still think that, that we can get better at it. At not at shark, not only at the sharks, but everywhere. I, I think getting in the pool cold, it should never happen for anybody. Good insight. I really appreciate it. And yeah, I mean, seems like gain has got its hand in a lot of the great clubs across the country. Um, you talked about learning from Ron as far as the age group progression and getting that snowball rolling down the hill. Um, I kind of learned in some of my research about you that as an 11, 12 year old, you were in the top group and on your club team. And uh, I'm, I'm just curious how you would move yourself up through this type of program. Like, would you be in the top group as a 12 year old if you were a Sarasota Shark? Uh, certainly not. Um, without question, I wouldn't be. But uh, I would say that uh, it wouldn't be without some sort of segue. If I had a if I had a national level 12, 13, 14 year old. Um, so, again, as a reminder, we've got our eighth grader, seventh and eighth graders split out. Generally speaking, sometimes we'll take an eighth grader, depending on who they are and if they can get to practice. Um, we have almost every step of the way, whether you're going from our, our white group to our black group, black group to our gold group, gold group to our senior prep group, there's always some sort of segue. Uh, most of the time it ends up being like Saturday mornings where you're invited to come to the next group. That way you're always exposed to the next group. Um, if I have athletes that need to be exposed to the national level, um, I certainly will find a way to get them, whether it be coming to morning practice, coming to a Saturday practice, um, I try to work within in their schedules if, if needed, uh, because I do believe that if you have really high performing age groupers, they can get bored and you need to be, you need to be aware of that. But I think there's also a lot of merit in remembering that part of our job is to make sure that emotionally, their emotional age, their maturity and their physical age, are, are all being developed. And most of the time they're never at the same place. So um, I have some real feelings on 12 year olds hanging out with 18 year olds. Um, and, I, and I think part of my job is still managing, is certainly developing people and, and trying to manage that a little bit too. So the answer is I would have not have been in my, in the, and currently in my national group. Um, but that's not to say that I wouldn't make a, a effort if we felt like it was appropriate. I want to give credit to my source, you know, cause I was, like I said, I was kind of um, doing a little research and you did a great interview for um, coaches corner, fitter, faster tour. And you talked, these are your words. You said you were a great 12 and under swimmer, a good high school swimmer and a mediocre college swimmer. Yeah, that's about right. What would you say like led to that? I mean, like that kind of, progression that kind of went the wrong way in some ways like can you can you get specific on your situation and your swimming what do you think happened during high school and college that um made well, you less successful than as an age grouper i mean 
certainly I made some poor choices along the way. So that, that that's gotta be part of it. Uh, I, I own a lot of the late high school and college, it, just a bad, bad decisions on, on my part, not anybody else's fault. Um, I did go through some coaching changes and that's kind of, I think is, has certainly affected my, um, my feelings on consistency and coaching. Um, I, I mean, I always liked to train and I, I, I liked being at swim practice. It was never, never any, anything like that. Uh, you know, would I have done maybe a little less at 12? Yeah, probably. Um, but I think that I was probably one of those where physically, which is a little bit um, maybe, well, physically, I, I was mature. Um, I probably looked more mature than I really was inside and probably wasn't ready for some of the things that were, that were thrown at me. So again, I think that um, has shaped my opinion on, on relationships with athletes and um, kind of trying to do what's best for the whole athlete, because if the whole athlete isn't really good, they're never going to be high performance. Would you say it's a confidence thing? It kind of shook your confidence. Uh, that's, that's a good question. I, I mean, I think as an age group, I was probably overly confident. I probably thought I was better than I really was. Um, and I think again, that's, that's one of the things in our, in our sport that I, I try to talk about here is, you know, you go to college, college recruiters, never going to ask you what your 12 year old ranking was. Right. Um, doesn't mean it's not important. And I think I go back to what Ron told me, right. Is I would rather see somebody continue to be successful and, and have momentum. You know, careers are always – athletics always about momentum, right? And so if you've got momentum and you see, feel yourself getting better and work, the work is working and you're, you're moving in the right direction, I think that um, coaches need to be really aware of that first plateau and coach kids through that first plateau because especially as teenagers – there's a lot of distractions. You know, you hit that first plateau and, you know, you start questioning, is this all worth it? Do we, is this really what I want to do? And, and if you don't have somebody there kind of whispering in your ear, like, Hey, push through it, this is worth it. Um, sometimes you don't ever see the other side of, of, of what can be. So as it went, I mean, it's kind of interesting that you ended up as a coach at what point in that whole process um, did you realize that coaching was something that you were interested in? So, I mean, I was kind of messing around in, in Gainesville. Um, I, I, had, I went to the university of Alabama and then left and went back to the university of Florida, uh, went to university of Florida. And, uh, I, I tell people this, uh, I, you know, I was working at Publix and I was you know, stocking groceries and, um, going to school, that kind of thing. And I remember the, the manager going, and my dad's been a very successful businessman for Procter and Gamble over the years. And they kind of, and Publix was his account. And so they found out that like my dad was involved in all of that. And uh, one of the managers was like, Hey, we can get you in management, you know, manager training and we can get you, you know, get you moving through this progression at Publix. And I remember leaving going, Oh man, I'm going to work at Publix for the rest of my life. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It just wasn't what I, I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, and I found myself going, getting back into the master's pool swimming. Um, then they needed a master's coach. I started coaching masters. They needed, a an age group coach. So I started coaching age group. Um, 
we had coaches changed. I was like, I think I might've been listed as like the interim head coach at Gator Swim Club for about 20 minutes or something. And uh, so I got kind of a feel for that. And then I became a senior assistant. I was really coaching. And I, I, I was, I always remember this one as like me, I think kind of a turning point where I, I really fell in love with it was uh, we were going to a set from the blocks and uh, had this young, young lady who hadn't been a best time in like two years and her 200 fly. And we're doing a pretty hard set. And at the end of the set there was a dive 200 and uh, she went her best time in a 200 fly and like just broke down into tears was so happy. And I just, I kind of remember that one as, all right, this is, this is cool. Like if you can get people to, to, to find a way to be happy through hard work and, and, and working through things like this is something, this is something I could get into. And then, man, the, the ball just started rolling. Um, I think a lot of it had, had just kind of the right place at the right time, but also working hard and taking advantage of opportunities. I was coaching eight year olds and working with Olympic medalists at the same time. And you can't get any better than that. Um, so I think it was a natural progression. And then I got to, I got to Sarasota and learned about running a, a bigger team and kind of climb the ladder here. And again, right place, right time, but also jumping on opportunities. So it, it's kind of just, just happened. But I, I think that that, that time when about 2005, when I was, you know, I, I watched somebody do something special for her, special for her. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm in. And that was kind of just kept going. <laughs> For sure. It gets you. I mean, you don't necessarily expect it. I did the same thing. I stepped on deck and that fulfillment is like nothing else that I felt in any other job that I did, including this journalism thing. So I feel you a hundred percent. I want to know what makes you great at it because you are, I mean, there, I know that it's hard to kind of brag about yourself. So let's try to do it from a swimmer's perspective. If your swimmers today had to describe your coaching style how would they describe it? And, and, you know, what is the thing that really makes it great? I, my hope is that um, they know that I'm going to challenge them. They know that I'm going to be fair with them. They know that I'm going to be honest with them, but they also know, I think probably the thing that I'm most proud of is, I want kids to be kids. So we talk a lot about you're going to work hard. You're going to be respectful. Everything else I'll just kind of deal with. It's just teenager stuff. So like, you know, I'm not worried about the, the strange teenager conversation in the, in the gutter. And um, I want them to joke around. I want them to have fun, but I also want them to know that uh, when it's time to go, it's time to go. So I, I would hope that they, they would say, um, he, He's tough, but but he allows us to, to be us. It's about creating that safe environment where they can be comfortable while they're pursuing excellence, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, would you ever consider college coaching? I think that sometimes the thought from inside the sport and outside the sport is like, oh, that's the top level. Um, I think we both know that um, there are coaches – at the club level that are some of the best in the world. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean um, the same thing that some status quo might expect, but does college coaching appeal to you at all? I, I've done it. I, I would never say no, but uh, I mean, at this point, what, what more, what more could I want? You know, it's, it's um, I work with high level athletes. 
we've got a little community here uh, at the Sarasota Sharks that's second to none, in my opinion. Sarasota is a beautiful place. I just try to keep things in perspective. If um, if you're always looking for something else, you can never be happy where where you're at. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm very happy where I am. And uh, you know, again, I, I would never say never, but there, there's probably a, a a price or an opportunity that would be out there. But that's um, it's not. It's certainly not something I'm searching for. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. So we've talked about your swimmers progressions. We've talked about your progression. The last little area that I kind of want to talk is about, you know, your coaches progressions and you've um, progressed yourself and you've seen things that work and you were exposed to some of the best. Um, you kind of alluded to a couple things. Um, I want to start with coaches meetings. I mean, it's great in theory, but getting everybody together for a meeting sometimes really is a drag, right? Um, and sometimes you have coaches who have other jobs and things like that. It becomes hard to find a time where you can all meet. Um, but if you do, I think that there's good things that can happen there as long as there's focus points and there's really stuff to go over. It's not just a meeting for meeting's sake. How do you approach coaches meetings? When do you do them? Um, any insight would be much appreciated. I mean, we kind of have a rule. We're not we never go to a meeting that doesn't have an agenda that goes for, you know, a, a coach that, that wants to have a meeting, a head coach that wants to have a meeting, a parent that wants to have a meeting, an athlete that wants to have a meeting. You know, I, I, one of the things is you, know, you don't get to write a, Hey, can you meet? There better be a reason why we're meeting. Cause the reply is going to be sure. I'm happy to meet what's on the agenda. Um, so I, I think that's first and foremost, don't take meetings that don't have agendas. Um, that's just a waste of everybody's time. Um, the, the second is, I, I mean, I think it goes back to what we were talking about with athletes, at least for me. Um, uh, you got to have good relationships with your coaches. You, they got to know that you care about them. I try to tell my coaches all the time that I will be the first person to help you find a, a, a new job. If that's what you know, a, a better job, if that's what you want to do. Um, but I'm going to make it really hard for you to leave, you know? So I always try to take care of, take care of my coaches. Most of my coaches get paid very well. Uh, they would have to go be head coaches somewhere else to get a better, a better gig. Um, I try to take a lot of the, the real heavy lifting stuff off of most of them, uh, especially if they're a part-time coach, I want them to be juiced when they come on the pool deck. So I think that's part of my job and part of my full-time coaches uh, job are to, Make sure that those little kid coaches or the ones that are part-time, all they have to do is walk on this pool deck and be juiced. Because the full-time guys, you're going to have good days and bad days, ups and downs. And I, and I would like those part-time guys to be able to, to get us through the valleys sometimes. Um, the I think that um, I really enjoy the season planning and the weekly planning. Um, again, I, I think I said it earlier, is – I would be like probably an ADD mess, like all over the place if I didn't have parameters on myself. So I think that uh, the planning and explaining your plan to everybody else and giving them an opportunity to ask questions on why you're doing it uh, just helps buy in. So my meetings are traditionally, hey, this is the plan for the week. This is any new business. Hey, we've got scheduling or hey, you know, somebody's got meets this weekend and we need coverage. Um, and then you get 10 minutes for anybody to air any issues that could be out there. And most of our meetings are 30 to 40 minutes long. I try not to have big old long meetings. And 
in COVID, we learned that we can do this. So if, if people want to be at home or they need to be at home or guys like you and I that have young kids and yesterday I had to run out of here, go get my son from the bus stop. And I was a little bit late and, you know, everybody just taking care of each other. Um, you know, having a culture of, of family first, but, but when we're on the deck, we're working hard. I, I think that, um, you know, being flexible with Zoom meetings and all that is, is important. I think you've already kind of answered this, but I think it's an important point, even if we're re-emphasizing it. Um, you have coaches that come up and help you with the top group. How important is it that your coaches all get exposure to your coaching on deck um, the same way that you got exposure to people like Troy and, and Nesty when you were an age group coach? I think, I think it's an interesting question. Um, I, I mean, I did a lot for free, right? You know, I was, and I would have gotten up at three 30 in the morning to go watch Lochte train. Um, and so while I think that there should be some of that, uh, there should be, you better be so passionate about being great that, Hey, you want to come watch by five o'clock practice. Um, but, as I've gotten older, I recognize that, that, um, you need to, you probably need to pay people more for their time. Um, not everybody's just going to want to volunteer and walk on the pool deck. Um, so I, I don't know if I have a great answer for this one. Um, do all of my coaches get exposure to my top group? No, unfortunately. Um, just because, you know, maybe they've got a second job and they don't start till five o'clock and my, my group's done at five, five thirty somewhere in there, depending on, on the time of year. Um, the summer tends to be a place where, uh, because we can move our schedule a little bit in the summer. Sometimes there's a little more flexibility because we have a lot of teachers that are also coaches. So sometimes that gives them more opportunities. Um, but I, I, we've got everything in Microsoft teams and there's really no, there's really no, uh, uh, secrets. So like all my season plans and everything are in there and just about anybody could get to them if, if they wanted to. And I, and I have office, I have office hours. I mean, I'm here most of the time during the day. So if anybody wanted to talk swimming, I, I try to be available to talk swimming. In fact, that's my favorite thing to do. So. For sure. Um, and talking swimming with a good coach is the best. So that's why I really appreciate you being here today. Um, what, this is the last coaching question. You know, when you're hiring somebody or when you've hired somebody and you're trying to figure out if they're the right fit, what do you look for? And this is just kind of a general way to basically ask what makes a good swim coach? Again, I'm not sure I've got a great answer on this one. I've been pretty lucky. Uh, I've got a couple of guys that have been here long-term from a coaching standpoint. And I've got um, a third who's been here before me and um, so, I, you know, I've, I would like to think that in the interview process, I, I think I tell people that the question, why do you want to be here, is, is really powerful. And then just listen to the answer. Um, I think you can learn a lot about somebody when you're interviewing them. Um, and then if they're doing a good job, you have, to, you have to make sure you tell them that they're doing a good job. Uh, I'm certainly not the best at this. I start going, 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 and I forget. And uh, I forget that you, know, you got to pat people on the back. If you're, if you're the guy in charge, you know, whether that's a $20 gift card every now and then or a bonus or whatever it is, um, I think that helps in, in retaining them. But I, 
I think interviewing, trying to find good, good questions to ask. Um, and then I, I think just spending time, spending time doing your research. You know, if you know, if this person's coached before, um, you got to spend some time digging what's their coaching look like. Maybe it doesn't look anything like mine. And that's, that's what we want. I, I think that's the other piece is internally looking inside. What do you want? Do you want somebody that's a carbon copy of me or one of my other staff members, or do you want somebody who's going to bring some fresh ideas uh, somewhere in the middle right now? I'm getting old enough that we're starting to have some athletes that swam for us come back. Um, that's been an interesting, a new dynamic that, that I'm working through. Um, some of them go to really good colleges and come back with really great ideas that can really augment what we're, what we're doing. So um, I don't know, that's kind of a roundabout answer, but um, it, it, we've been fortunate so far. No, you, you touched on a lot of really good things, including specifics. Um, what you said about patting people on the back kind of segues into my final little area that we're going to talk about mental health. Um, you know, you talked exactly about how you take care of it with your coaches and how you support each other. If, you know, you've got to run and you got family obligations and stuff. Um, is there any particular way that you've been addressing this very timely issue since COVID basically, and maybe before that, I don't know, um, with your swimmers, how do you guys address mental health with swimmers? Um, well, I, this may be wrong and I'm going to, I'm going to put myself out here, but, um, my stance has been that I don't like that mental health has been taken away from health as a whole. I look at it as health is health. And if you have a hurt shoulder, um, you have to address that the same, just as much as if you want to swim fast and you have a hurt shoulder, you've got to address the shoulder. If you've got, you know, mental health issues, it's health. You need to address it. Um, I try, I, I try to, how's your health? Health is health is health. And, um, I think that, uh, there's some good and bad about separating it. Um, but I, I just feel, I feel very strongly that if what's between your ears isn't where it needs to be, it's just like having a bad shoulder or a bad knee or whatever it is, you've got to address it. Um, we try to be honest about it. You know, I sent out a survey last week. Um, and one of the questions that I do a, like a mid season check-in survey, um, and uh, one of them is, you know, about your health. And if somebody comes back, generally, if some someone's really low and I haven't heard about it, like I will go out of my way to make sure that that I ask them what's going on. Most of the time, if I get somebody who scores themselves low, I've already heard about it. And I've already had some sort of communication about it, which I feel, which I, which I am very proud of. I think that they should have the ability and the desire to communicate. Um, you know, cause it's, it, as you know, right. It's a hard act to, to balance between being tough and pushing, but at the same time, they still have to be able to want to come talk to you if you, if they need to. Um, so the, I, I think that that's my stance is that mental health is health and it shouldn't be treated or, or, shouldn't have a bad stigma to it. It's just health. So. I love that. I think it's very accurate. And to treat it the same way as a hurt shoulder is just such good perspective for, for coaches. I mean, you're not going to be able to operate at the same level in practice if you have a hurt shoulder and you're not going to be able to do that if your mind is not right. Um, when it comes to your own mental health, um, and I guess this is also the, the second part. It's sometimes tough to recognize injury in that way or that that your mental health or your health 
in your in your head is not in the right place. Um, I know you can't really speak for anyone else, so let's just talk about yours. When yours is in a place where you're tired or beat down or frustrated with something, uh, what do you do to help yourself? Um, what does it look like? And I think this is important for coaches. Um, I think it's important for us coaches to kind of talk about this stuff, to uh, give ideas to each other, because it is a tough job. There's a lot of sacrifice that happens with it. It's a lot of hours and giving yourself emotionally to others is exhausting. So when it comes to taking care of yourself, what kind of things do you do to make sure that that's a priority? Well, let's start with, I'm probably, I, I'm deep in the learning process of this. I'm probably not the best at it. Certainly something that I've had to think about, uh, especially as kids. I mean, it, when you start having kids, um, you start looking at things very differently. Um, the, um, I think probably the, the number one thing is being, being able to be honest with myself. Uh, hey, if I'm, if I'm being grumpy or I've got, you know, I've got stuff going on, um, I got to be able to take a deep breath and, and um, take a step back. And I think in years past, that was really hard for me to do because I, I didn't either have the staff in place or the structure in place that I felt like that could happen because I think a lot of head coaches end up feeling like they've got to do everything all the time. Um, so I, I spent probably the last four years really learning how to delegate and then putting people in positions that they're good at and want to be in. And that can help the overall organization, even when I'm, when I'm gone. And that's also been a big thing is this place needs to function, even if I'm traveling or I'm, I'm not here. Um, so that's kind of been a long-term mission. And then internally, like, I think the the or ring and the the whoop band have been uh, real interesting. You know, whether whether it be life choices or not going to bed or whatever, you know, just seeing how that affects um, some of the heart rate variability stuff or my sleep. Uh, that's been as I get older. That's certainly something that I that I had to pay attention to. Um, and then just just working out. I, I've I certainly um, feel that. Uh, if you're not feeling good, the best thing to do is go hurt yourself for about 30 minutes and usually feel pretty good afterwards. So that's the truth. That's definitely a good piece of advice. I think hopefully all coaches understand working in, you know, swimming. So, um, yeah, I think that's it. And cool. I really appreciate this 60 minutes of, uh, picking your brain. Cause I've learned a lot. I've got some notes that I'm taking into my own coaching and, I hope that the listeners will uh, will be enjoying it the same way I did. But uh, Brent, I really appreciate your time. And um, it was awesome to get a sneak peek into kind of Sarasota and, and understanding what's been so successful and why it's going to continue to be so successful. So best of luck this season. And I just can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcasts on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.